You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. The topic for this month, month is theology and uh, what is the study of God all about and why is it important. And uh, Joe, Dr. Dr. Joe Kirkendall is uh, coming back from a cruise. He gets back this week. He and his wife have been on a cruise actually celebrating his parents' um, uh, wedding anniversary. And so... Um, so, so the, he, they come back this week, and so uh, our speaker for this week is my dear friend and your dear friend, Daniel Grothy. So if you'd welcome him, and we'll Good get morning. started this morning. Hey, thank you, sir. Good morning. Thank you for coming this morning, braving the frigid, frozen tundra of Colorado Springs. Actually, yesterday was like a heat wave, you know, 40 degrees. I was out running around with just a t-shirt on because it was like I could actually get outside. Um, That wasn't a very good story, was it? (laughs) Um, Amazing. (laughs) Thank you, Daniel, for telling us about something we don't want to know about. Um, Is there like a stool or something that I can sit on? I, I don't want to make life hard, so if you don't find a stool in like 30 seconds, forget about it. Don't worry about it. Um, let's see. Today is January 10th. Yes? Uh, everyone doing okay? Okay. Very good. Well, make yourself available to that breakfast back there and some food and some drink. Um, like Aaron said, we're talking about... Thank you. Wow, that's a very nice chair. Did you get that at uh, Ross or something? Where did you get that at? Wow, kind of a... Can we get some phone books to lift this up a little bit? I'm kidding. But it is kind of an awkward... Whatever, we'll get there. Um, The study, uh, uh, theology, the study of God, his nature, his character, that's what we're talking about this month. Who can tell me what Dan Perkins talked about last week? Shout it out. Wow, it was that good, huh? Free will? Okay. Got some choice. This week we are talking about the holiness of God. Um, The holiness of God. That word, what do we think about when we think about the word holy? Uh, it's a, it's a pious word, right? I mean, it's a really formal, fancy word that we use in church that, um, you know, we sing the hymns and it's just this big, uh, strong church word. Um, so we kind of know how to use the word in church. We know where, where to drop the word. We know how to fit it into church conversation. But I want, I want to talk about today what the word holy means, the holiness of God, what it means, how significant it is, and um, what people have thought about it for a long time, uh, people in church, people in the kingdom. Um, Jewish people have had a historical reverence for the name of God forever. It's a big deal to them to even say the name of God, to use the name of God. Um, it's not casual, it's not just kind of throw it around. Um, it's a big deal for them to talk about God, to, to think about God, and then to verbalize it. Um, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Jewish name of God is considered sacred, and out of deep respect for the name, Jews do not say the name of God. And if it's written down, they don't even erase it, like stay away from it. If, if the name of God in Hebrew, were written here. Uh, They wouldn't have written it, but if it were written here, they wouldn't come up and erase it because it's just so holy and sacred. And out of deep respect for it, they they honor it. They stay away. They don't want to mess with God. They reverence Him. Instead of pronouncing Yahweh during prayer, which would be the name of God, they'll say the word Adonai, which is Lord. Like, kind of His title. They'll, instead of... Directly saying his name, Yahweh, they'll say Adonai, they'll call him Lord because of the reverence that they have for him. They won't even say his first name or what they call him. They'll call him by his title. They'll address him by who they understand him to be in their life, Lord. 
As such, it's common that Jewish practice to restrict the use of the word Adonai, Adonai to only prayer. So even in using the word Adonai, they only say it when they're praying. It's a big deal to them how they talk to God, how they talk about God, how they address Him. In conversation, many Jewish, Jewish people, even when not speaking Hebrew, will call God Hashem, which means the name. Capital T, the, capital N for name, the name. So they don't, they don't call him Yahweh. They, sometimes they'll say Hashem or Adonai, Lord. It's just a big deal. I, I give you that background. You're like, why are you talking about that? To say that the, the Jewish people from the very beginning have had an honor and a respect for the name of God because he is holy. Because he's to be reverenced and to be feared and to be honored. And they don't take it lightly how they address him. The Hebrew word for holiness is kadosh. K-A-D-O-S-H. Kadosh. And it implies differentiation. That God, this holy God that we serve, is different. He's not uh, secular. He's not carnal. He's not... Worldly, he's not dark, he's not deceitful, he's not shady. There's nothing about him that is like us. He's completely different than us. Theologians would say God is completely other. He's, he's out of our realm. We don't understand him. We can never fully understand the holiness of God. But one thing we do know is that he is very different than we are. He's entirely set apart from the common. He is peerless. He doesn't have an equal. He doesn't have someone to look at him on his level. He is without rival. He's peerless. He's divine. Uh, We stand in relation to creation as the created. He stands in relation to the creation as the creator. He stands over creation as the one who made it. And we fit in creation as the ones who were made. We, we look up at Pike's Peak and feel small. And he looks down at Pike's Peak and... Oh, there it is. <laughs> he's big. He's holy. He's other. He's different. He's, he's without rival. This is our holy God. So up front, I'll say that there's no way that in today's 45-minute talk, you can walk away with an exhaustive understanding of the holiness of God. There's no way... In eternity, I think, in heaven, for when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amazing grace. In 10,000 years into heaven, we will not have exhausted the holiness of God. So I'm putting it out there right away that the goal today, my, my, uh, my hope is not that we feel like we walk away with a great, perfect understanding of His holiness. I hope we scratch the surface more. I hope we understand more. I hope we see him more in his holiness. Uh, But I'm not making any (laughs) promises that I can't keep this morning. So um, having said that, we as humankind have a pretty terrible frame of reference for the word holy, I think. Um, Which is why we wear shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. My first point today If you walk away with anything, Jesus is not your homeboy. Uh, That's insane. Uh, If you've ever worn the shirt, I forgive you, okay? Right here, I'm just saying that. But it's insane. Jesus is not your homeboy. He never will be your homeboy. To say that Jesus is your homeboy means you're looking at him. Your peers. He's, He's your... He's not. Psalm 50 Think about this for 30 seconds. Psalm 50 says that he, God, knows every bird in every mountain. What? Like, look at just the little mountain stuff that we see here. And this isn't even a blip on the globe. And yet, how many birds are out there? But Scripture says that God knows every bird... In every mountain, all over the globe. That's insane. 
That's a holy God. That's not a homeboy God. Jesus is not your homeboy. <laughs> um, Moses, Exodus 33. He's, getting, he's trying to lead these people into the promised land. They've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. After they escaped Egypt, they're out in this wilderness. It should have taken them 11 days to get from Egypt to the promised land if they had walked straight there. And yet they walked for 40 years. By this time, Moses is pretty much going insane. Um, These people are complainers. They are challenging his authority. They're saying, we should have stayed in Egypt and died there. I mean, who is... Who is God and who are you to lead us out here to to suffer? At least in Egypt we had this. At least in Egypt we had that. They had a horrible existence in Egypt. So for them to think that Egypt was better than what they had now means that the wilderness was pretty bad. And so they're on the tail end of this. Exodus 33, Moses is just tired. And he says, God, we won't go up without you. They're getting ready to leave the mountain. God's given them his, his law, the Ten Commandments. And Moses is like, God, we're, you told us to go up and possess this land, but if you don't go with us, we're not going. We're, we're in trouble. Please show me that you're going to go with us. And he said, prove it to me by showing me your glory. He told God, I want you to... Prove to me that you're going to go with us and defeat this army by showing me your glory. And then we pick up in Exodus 33:20. God says, let's, let's make a deal here. I'll show you something, but you may not see my face. This is God talking to him. He said, no one can see me and live. No one can see me and live. You will die if you see me, God is telling Moses. Because Moses said, I want to see your face. And he said, well, if you see my face, you'll die. So let's not do that. Let's, let's have a little variation of that. Let's, we'll do something else. No one can see me and live. He goes on, look, here is a place right beside me. Put yourself on this rock. God is talking to Moses. Stand on this rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. Just hide him in a little... Like a cave, you know, stick you in the cave of the rock. And cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll take, take my hand away and you'll see my back, but you won't see my face. No one can see me and live. So God, God says, Moses, I'll, I'll show you, I'll prove to you that I'm going to go with you. But it can't be on your terms. It can't be like you think because you'll die. Uh, so he puts them in this little cave and covers it. God covers Moses in this cave with his hand and he passes by. And then as he passes by, he uncovers it and Moses sees his back. And you read on and Moses just shaken. His back. Our God is holy. Our God is not a homeboy. Our God is powerful. Our God is not familiar. He's not, he's not, uh, he's not our next door neighbor that we just hang out with and you know, play Scrabble with. And, and let's not think about God in terms of our humanity and in, in terms of what we want. Let's think about God on his terms. Let's think about God by how he's revealed himself. And he's revealed himself as a holy God. The characteristic name for God in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah talks about God a lot in his book. And the, the name that he uses to describe him to describe God is the holy. All throughout Isaiah, if you read it in Hebrew, the holy, the holy, the holy. That's how he describes, that's, that's, how, he call, that's how he talks to God, talks about God. He describes him as the holy. He doesn't describe him as the cool. He doesn't describe him as the, the, uh, the awesome um, hangout guy. He doesn't describe him as a a really great boss. He describes God all throughout his book, which is a crazy book. You should read it. If you haven't read Isaiah all the way through, read it. And Isaiah calls him the holy. That's how he refers to him. Isaiah 6, I think Patrick's going to put this up on the screen. Isaiah 6, 1 through 6 says, 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold <laughs> At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This is Isaiah. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That's a pretty amazing vision that Isaiah had. And the angels that cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of His glory. When the angels cried that out, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. It wasn't even... God's voice. And yet, with the angels crying out, a scene like that happened. The place filled with smoke and everything shook and Isaiah freaked out and said, Woe to me, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king. God is just terribly holy. Um, Psalm 114 says, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. Not, uh, those are just strong words. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine if the front range just started trembling right now? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. God is just so holy that the psalmist said, Earth, get out of the way, bow down, make room. Be afraid because God is so holy. Um, we, we are dealing with an amazing God. And he's our father, and he's, our, he's the lover of our souls. He's the one that watches over us and provides for us. But in all of his goodness to us, we ought not get overly familiar with him. We ought not get too casual with him, because he is holy. Daniel 10. This is a crazy story. Um, Daniel 10, 4 through 8. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris. I looked up and to my surprise saw a man, get this description of the man. Dressed in linen with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body was hard and glistening as if sculpted from a precious stone. His face was radiant, his eyes bright and penetrating like torches. Eyes like torches. His arms and feet glistening like polished bronze and his voice, deep and resonant, sounded like a huge choir of voices. I, Daniel, was the only one to see this. The men who were with me, although they didn't see it, were overcome with fear and ran off and hid. The guys who were with Daniel did not see the vision that Daniel saw. And yet, they were overcome with fear and ran off and hid. Just at the presence of this person didn't see it may not scripture doesn't even say that daniel said holy cow i'm looking at the most amazing vision of this crazy guy i mean if daniel had said that and they ran off and hid maybe but daniel doesn't indicate that they even had an idea that he was having this vision it just says that they were freaked out and they took off fearing the worst Left alone after the appearance, abandoned by my friends, I went weak in the knees. The blood drained from my face, and I fell face down to the ground. What's interesting about this vision is that it's an angel. It's not God. This is just one of God's many messengers. This is one of God's workers. This is one of God's uh, get-it-done guys. And yet Daniel had this image, I just read it to you, this vision of what he looked like. And he freaked out. Blood drained from his face, fell to the ground. These guys took off in fear. And they didn't even see it. If, if they're running away at the, the appearance of an angel, what must our God be like? How, how different must our God be? Uh, I'm just reading you some of these passages to, to 
make you think, to, to open up your imagination to the holiness and to the awesomeness and to the power and the magnificence and the beauty of our God. That's why no one can see him and live. We would die. Uh, heaven is going to be really, really great. That's why I'm looking... This is one of the major reasons why I'm looking forward to heaven so much. I'm not in any hurry. I'm 27. I've got little kids. Uh, so I'd love to live a long life and see my grandkids. But when that day comes, I, I, can't, I can't get enough just to think about it right now. I've been thinking about it a lot. My pastor growing up was 57. He just died of cancer and he's with Jesus. And this was kind of like a second dad to me. His, ki- his kids are like my siblings. And I've been thinking about Billy Joe being with Jesus. What in the world is that like? We, we read these descriptions, these Old Testament passages, and we'll read some in the New Testament. But who is like our God? We, we can't even... Words fail. Like, I feel like... I'm, I'm not even getting close to doing him justice. I'm not. I'm doing my best and I've been studying for this and reading for this and praying about this talk, but this is nowhere near. <laughs> this is a pretty pit, pitiful representation of the holiness of our God. Isaiah 2. This is verse 10. Isaiah says to the people, Head for the hills. Hide in the caves from the terror of God, from his dazzling presence. Not even necessarily because these people had done anything wrong. He's just saying, in general, run. God is just, his presence is dazzling. It's it's terrifying. If you were to encounter his presence, truly, it's it's overwhelming. Hide in the hills. Run for the caves. God is dazzling in beauty. Nine verses later, he says, Clamor into caves in the cliffs. Duck into any hole you can find. Hide from the terror of God, from his dazzling presence, when he assumes his full stature on earth. When he assumes his full stature on earth, that's going to be terrifying for his people, for his beloved ones, for the ones who have served him, let alone those who are not living in his holiness. You know, if we, the people of God who are doing our best to grow in righteousness and to pursue him, if we, if, if, if Isaiah is telling us it's going to be pretty wild, and I'm not trying to scare you. It's not like God's going to crush you with his presence and kill you and make you say uncle. And it's not like God is trying to freak you out, but he, he will, he will dazzle us. He will humble us. We will drop to our knees, blood draining from our faces, going, who is this holy God? But for those who don't serve him, for those who don't know him, for those who don't call on his name, it's going to be a whole nother level of terror. It will be terrifying in in the true sense of the word. Eugene Peterson says, Holiness is the most attractive quality. The most intense experience we ever get of sheer life. Authentic, first-hand living, not life looked at and enjoyed from a distance. Holiness is the most genuine experience of sheer life. Up close and personal, right in the middle of it. God's holiness is intensely living it's it's it is truly living to experience and to experience on a continued basis the holiness of god that is true life it's firsthand living it's not looking at life from a distance it's being right in the big middle of god's goodness i think it's critical to remember and this is my second point is that holiness spreads what do you mean holiness spreads God is not interested in holiness being confined to just himself. God will always be holy and that will never change. But his goal is not just his own holiness. His goal is our holiness. 
His holiness spreads to us and begins to make us holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. Some people have read this and, and just kind of throw up their hands and just say, that's impossible. I can't. They just walk away. 1 Peter 1. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, this is God speaking, be holy because I am holy. A lot of times people hear that and they, they hear be holy because I'm holy and think that they're the ones that have to make themselves holy. God is the one who makes us holy. God is the one who does the work of purifying us. God is the one who burns up the chaff, if you will. The, the, the dead stuff in our lives. He's the one that burns it up with his holiness and makes us come alive with his own purity and with it, the fire of his glory. It's his work. So when you hear 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, don't be discouraged. Know that it's on God. It's God's job to make you holy. It's his desire to make you holy. It's his responsibility to make you holy. He hasn't left you on your own to make your own self holy. If you will just turn yourself over and if I will turn myself over and surrender and say, I'm yours, do what you will, not my kingdom, your kingdom come, not my will, but your will be done. When God finds a person like that, he will make them holy. But what it takes is falling face down before him, recognizing his glory and recognizing his beauty and recognizing his perfection and recognizing our own imperfection and saying, I want what you have. When God finds a person like that, he will make them holy. Somehow he makes what is his ours. It's the greatest exchange we could ever imagine. Darkness for his light. Sin for his righteousness. Chaos for his peace. Hatred for his love. Fear for his faith. Poverty in every way. Spiritual, mental, physical, financial. For his provision. It's the greatest exchange. And all we do is believe by faith in Christ Jesus. And turn our lives over and say yes to him. And he, and he makes the exchange. My last point is, let the fire burn. All throughout scripture, God is described as the consuming fire. That's the way he's identified. One of the ways he's identified is as a blaze. He's, he's a flaming, out of control we can't shut it down, fire. And he burns up everything that's not like him. And let, I say let the fire burn. Turn yourself over to the blazing fire of our consuming God. Let him do what he does. Let him do what he wants. Let him do what only he can do. And it may hurt for a while. It may sting. It may not be a fun process. But I guarantee you, out of, the, out of the fire, out of the flames, out of the torching of our own inner dark lives, we will be made like him. We will be built up. It's like, um, like a big forest fire. You know, like we had a fire here in 2001, do you, do you remember? 201 or 202, 2002. And it burned up hundreds of thousands of acres of forest out here just up over the rampart range here and it went crazy and no one could stop it and it was out of control and even to this day if you drive back there it doesn't look great it's not like there's this new forest but in 20 years when you drive on i think it's highway 67 when you drive through where it was it's going to be gorgeous it's going to be beautiful there's going to be new growth and there's already starting to be some new vegetation out there but I think that's a beautiful picture of what happens in our lives. 
sometimes we get torched. We just, we can't shut it down. God's doing a work of purification in our hearts. And it, it, it's not on our terms, it's on His. And we may look at ourselves for years and just, or just a period of time and go, what happened to me? I'm, I, what's wrong with me? I'm uncomfortable. This hurts. This is painful. I don't like what I see. But as the years go by, God will bring His growth. God will bring His life to life on the inside of us. And so, ecologists would actually say, sometimes they actually torch portions of a forest on purpose. Because it's, it's kind of dying off. There's nothing good going on there. So what they'll do is they'll kind of confine it and they'll set it ablaze and they'll burn it down. Because in burning it down, they know that they'll start a process that will bring it back to life. It'll take a long time, but they, they know what's going on and they know what they're doing by burning it down. And God knows what he's doing when he sets parts of us on fire and burns it up. God knows what he's doing when he uproots things that are planted in our hearts that are death that are bringing us destruction, that are causing us to not flourish in Him. He will burn those up and rip those out, and He will begin from the inside out to grow His righteousness and to grow His holiness and to grow His purity and to grow His life on the inside of us. So my third point is let the fire burn. Say yes to His blazing, consuming holiness. This right here, I came in here this morning and lit this about an hour and a half ago. And the reason why I did is because by now, it was really hard this morning when I took it out of my room at home. But now there's, it, it's been burning for an hour and a half and it's really soft. And I can shape it. I can make it into what I want to make it into. An hour and a half ago, it had broken my hand to try to shape this thing. But now I'm kind of having my way with it. I, I get to decide what I want it to look like and... really easy actually it's not it's kind of fun to play with and do what I want to do with it and and I think that much the same in our lives as we let his fire burn and we just keep letting it burn we let his holiness simmer on the inside of us we lay our lives down before him and we say whatever you want we just keep saying yes to him. We keep letting our God, the consuming fire, own us and control us and do with us what he wants to do with us. And we don't blow it out. We don't say, that's uncomfortable for me. Get, no, get away. On my terms, God. When we refuse to blow out the flame that is God and we let him do his thing, we start to look like what he intended us to look like. We start to um, be shaped by his desire, by what he wants. And it takes time. Just like an hour and a half ago, this, this candle was really hard and kind of crusty and firm and it was a pain. When you start, this, this candle wasn't ready to be shaped five minutes into the burning. When you say yes to the burning flame, the, the consuming fire of God, it's, He's not going to immediately change you. He's not going to immediately shape you and form you and make you perfect just like He wants you. It takes time. It takes a life. It takes a lifetime. Till the day, if I live to be 95, I still want the fire burning and I still want this process happening. And it will only be on that glorious day, the final day, when he comes for, for my return or when I go to meet him. When he comes to bring me back or when I go to meet him. Then 
then it will be done. He will have perfected it. But this life is about the ongoing perfecting, the ongoing shaping, the ongoing holiness that he's burning inside of us. So I am saying, I understand when you're frustrated and feel like, God, you're taking too long. This is not, this is not working for me. This is just too painful. Because I, I am there. I've been there. And I am, in some sense, constantly there, wishing that he would just make me perfect. Go! Ready? One, two, three. Do it! I'm yours. Now make me perfect now. No. I have to say I'm yours today and he'll shape me today. And I have to say I'm yours tomorrow and he'll shape me tomorrow. And he's going to constantly be burning things up on the inside of me that are not like him. It's what David prayed in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 139, David. He said, search me and know me. And see if there be any wicked way on the inside of me. And get it out. And then lead me in the way of everlasting life. These are the prayers that we pray as we continue to come before him and have him shape us. Do what you want to do, God. Not my will, but your will be done. This is what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Right before he was to go to the cross. Jesus said, Father, if there be any way... Let this cup pass from me. I don't want this. This is not the greatest plan. This is not fun. I don't think Jesus was just kind of giving a wink and a nod to God. Like, hey, I'm going to say that I don't want this to happen, but really I'm all good with this. But for my followers later, it will, it will help them if they hear me saying that I don't want this to happen. Jesus did not want to die on the cross in that moment. He was agonizing. Scripture says that he was sweating like drops of blood. It was coming out of his pores. That's how intense of a process it was. Wrestling with God. Please. But he came to. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted to the holiness of God. He submitted to the process of God that is not always the easiest process, that is not always the most fun, but he said yes to it. And as we're getting burned up and changed and transformed, there will be times when we want to quit, when we want to stop, when we want to just bow out. It's too much. And that's the moment that, that we get to follow Jesus in his footsteps and say, if there be any other way, let this pass for me. Stop this. But nevertheless, if it doesn't stop, I'm going to keep going. Not my will. You do it the way you want to do it, God. Holiness is a furnace that transforms the men and women who enter it. Think about holiness as a furnace. Like a destination. Like I'm going right now into the furnace. Into the holiness of God. And as we go into the furnace, as we go into holiness and let him work his holiness on the inside of us, it burns us up and it transforms men and women, the men and women who enter it. So I say that because we do have a choice. We don't have to allow God to burn us up right now. We don't have to allow God to transform us right now. We don't have to say yes to his plan. We don't have to identify and become followers of his holiness. We can say no to it. But to those who say yes, his holiness become, becomes the furnace that transforms the men and women who enter it. I've just decided, again, I've, I've decided it many times, and I find that I have to keep deciding that I'm going to enter the furnace of his holiness. That I'm going to allow him the say. I'm going to let him do what he wants to do. Sometimes that can be scary, but there's a really cool story in scripture that I think encourages us. Remember, holiness as a furnace, right? Transforms those who enter it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three guys, 
this king wanted to glorify himself and he had this really shady worker and this worker said to the king hey there's these three guys that bow down to the God of Israel they worship him but they need to be worshiping you because you're the greatest king ever so this shady worker convinces the king that he needs to make a law for the entire nation that only people can bow down to him before his God that he worships So it's kind of like bowing down to him because he's saying, the God that I worship, because I worship him, he he is the real God. So you'll bow down to my God. So he makes this decree throughout the land. Yep, you got to bow down to my God. Come down. I mean, they're actually bowing before an idol. Um, And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hear that and they're like, who's this guy? Who's this king think he is? That, I, that he can stop us from bowing down to the God of Israel. He's crazy. So word got back to the king through this shady servant, this shady worker guy, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not bowing down to the king's God. They're bowing down to the God of Israel. Still, they're defiant. Testing the king. So, the king kind of got his arm twisted by this shady servant into... Uh, sentencing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to death. And so the king, he's like, well, I made the law, the decree. They're still being defiant. I guess I kind of have to, as much as I hate to do this, because he kind of did respect these three guys. I, I need to hold up the law. If I don't, people will see the double standard. So he says, all right, throw them into the fire. So they had these like fire chambers back in the day. And they'd throw people into the fire and they'd burn them up and they'd die. That's, that was their death sentence. So they gathered these three guys up, put them, you know, put them before the sentencing judge. You're going to the fire, you're dead. You didn't, you didn't bow down to the king's God. You're serving the God of Israel and you will die for it. So they get them together, they throw them in the fire and close the door. And they've apparently got this way of looking in. Maybe they open the door to look or they've got glass or something. But they're able to see these guys in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These three guys. And so they throw them in and they're kind of like... The shady servants especially there. You know he's there. The guards, there's two guards outside the, the fire chamber. And I'm sure there was quite a crowd watching these people of God go to burn. Throw them in, kind of hanging out there. They aren't screaming yet. <laughs> Man, these guys are, these guys are tough. <laughs> Give it a minute. Give it another minute. <laughs> Surely they'll be dead. I mean, it's fire. They look in, and the king says, turn it up seven times hotter. Like, we're going to... They're still alive. Well, we need to kill them. Seven times hotter. Turn it up seven times hotter. No screaming. No weeping and gnashing of teeth. No one banging on the door. Let me out of here. And they look in. And all of a sudden, there's four people in there. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and... Wait. And the king said, we put three guys in, right? And they said, yes, we put three guys in. Well, there's four in the fire. God was with them. God was, he entered into the fire with them. And he protected them through it. And they actually came out of the fire alive. Scripture says that they weren't burned. They didn't even smell like smoke, Scripture says. These three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fourth. They were totally preserved in this fire that was seven times hotter And scripture says when they turned it up seven times hotter, the two guards that were outside died because it was so hot. Just the the fire was so hot that it burned them up. And yet the ones who were in it didn't even smell like smoke. I tell you this story because we all know that it's uncomfortable to let God do a deep, burning, purifying salvation work in our hearts. It's, It's uncomfortable at times, if we're honest. 
We don't like it. Some people quit, like I said. It's just too uncomfortable, too, too close, and they, they jet. They're done. Well, for those of us who will continue to stay with the God of Israel, the holy God of Israel, Kadosh, the one who is completely different, the one who is peerless, the one who is without rival, the one who is other, for those of us who choose to stay connected with him and to serve him, he enters the fire with us. It doesn't mean that it's not uncomfortable, but he's with us. He doesn't leave us. The fire is, is not to destroy us. The fire is to destroy the sin in us. The fire is not to kill us. The fire is to kill what is dark that resides in the deepest parts of us. God wants to burn us up because he wants us to be pure, not because he wants us to die. So this is not some masochistic torturer God who wants to just really turn up the heat underneath us and watch us dance. No, he, he turns up the heat on the inside of us to burn out the darkness. He purifies us. He makes us his holy bride. Revelation says that Jesus is coming back for a bride, a church, a people that is without spot, without blemish, without impurity, without wrinkle. He's coming back for a pure bride. I want to be a part of the pure bride. How do we achieve pure bride status? By saying yes to the consuming fire that is our God. By saying yes to his process of rooting out everything in us that's not like him. So it, it kind of hurts a little now and we receive the benefit later. Lots of people are living for the benefit now and they won't receive it later. For me, I would rather pay it up front and receive it on the back end than live in perpetual pleasure right now and gratify my own sinful nature and live in perpetual torture and chaos and darkness for eternity. He's coming back for a bride that's pure, that's spotless, that's without blemish, that's not messed up, a bride that's looking for him and waiting for him in holiness. The only way we, the bride, receive his holiness is by letting him work it from the inside out. Our God is holy. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. And I'll close with this. For God is not an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to burn, and he won't quit until it's all cleansed. God himself is fire. So today, can we as a people, if, if you're in this room and you don't want this, it's no problem at all, I'm not going to ask you to leave. But for those of you who are saying, yes, I want God to be the fire that burns me up, the, the fire that torches me from the inside out and that kills off everything in me that's not like him and that grows righteousness in me that is straight from him. For, for you that are in here, would you just, just kind of take a moment here, close your eyes um, and, and talk to God. I'm going to give a couple minutes where I'm going to let you pray quietly to the Lord yourself and then we'll pray together as a corporate body.
O consuming fire, our God, our holy God, we come before you first to recognize that you are holy. You're not our homeboy. You're not our, our buddy. You're the holy God that has been forever. You are the one that was. You are the one that is. And you are the one that is to come. You are completely on your own level. You are, you are your own level. <laughs> you have no rival. You have no one that is close to you in glory. No one comes close to you in power. No one even scratches the surface of your holiness. You are our God and we look up to you today. And we say that we think you're perfect. We think you're blazingly beautiful. We think that you're, the fire that, that is in you, the fire that you are, is attractive. It's, it's, it is life. And Lord, we say to you that we want that. We want that. That's what we're asking for as your people. That you would come in with your flame and that you would extinguish everything in us that's not like you. Burn it out. Torch us up, Lord. Anything that you find unsatisfactory on the inside of us, get it out of us, we pray. Lord, we want to look like you. We want to be like you. We want to be holy because you are holy. And so we submit to you today. We know that we can't earn holiness. We know that we can't buy it. We know that we can't achieve it on our own. We can only become the holy people of God by, the, by your sovereign work. So we submit to that today. Whatever it means. If it means that we have to drink the cup that Jesus drank, Lord, we would ask that if there's any other way, do it. But not our will, but your will be done. We want your will to be done in our hearts. We want to be pure. We want to be holy. So we submit to you today and we say, do your work in our hearts. Lord, thank you that you are with us in this process of being refined, in this process of being cleansed. You don't leave us on our own and it's not your desire that you would destroy us. It's your desire to destroy the darkness and the evil that resides in us. So we say yes to that. We give you permission to do that today. And Lord, we just worship you. We honor you as the one that is above all. We honor you as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We honor you as the all-consuming fire. We honor you today, Lord, as the one who deserves worship, the only one who deserves worship. We praise you today and we thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us more of your holiness. We want to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone, thank you for coming today. Feel free to hang around. Service starts at 11 if you're going to go over, but it's 1035. Make yourself at home, eat some more food. And uh, thanks for coming today. God bless you.